This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I am joined again with Jim Sebastio. Hi, Jim. Hello, Brian. We're going to get started here in just a minute, but a couple of just preliminary things. Uh, if you, uh, if we can help you in any way, practicalshepherding.com is the best place to go. All our resources are there. Let me mention a couple of things, uh, exciting things that are happening as we come to the end of the year. We just launched the Shepherd's House page. You can find the drop-down uh, on the website, but this is a really exciting new ministry that we're starting in 2022. It's a place that pastors can come and get rest and help and care uh, for free, Jim. If they can get to the property, which is just outside of Louisville, Kentucky here, then we will take care of everything else for a couple of days just to be able to help them. House you and feed you. And that's right. And, and as well as pro- to... provide a pastoral mentor right. uh, that's actually a local pastor we've trained and is a part of our ministry. So we're really excited about this. And we particularly want pastors to come and, and stay. And again, it's free. So we want to encourage pastors to go. And But you have to apply to come stay. Watch out, Jim. Uh, yeah, we're okay Watch here, out. I think. It, it sounds we're, like uh, the world's falling we're, apart. Uh, we're, here, we're recording we're... right at the curb, you know, and that's why you can hear all these things. So <laughs> uh, so anyways, The Shepherd's House, please go and, and check that out. Also, if this podcast or this ministry has been a help to you as we come to the end of the year, you can go donate on uh, the website. There's a donate button there. Also, a, a, a page that explains other ways you can give. But we would welcome into the year gifts to help us uh, finish strong financially. Uh, for the ministry and help help us to launch well into 2022. If you've been helped by our ministry in any way, we would uh, we would love for you all to give an end of the year gift. Uh, we're going to jump right into the topic though, Jim, and and this is a topic that one is really important to both of us. Something we actually talk about a lot with <clears throat> just conversations as well as just speaking things that we go and do. This is important to us, and that is the the importance of of a local church being multi generational that there would be old and young and all in between. And this is an important topic because the trend so often now in the modern church is to build a church on one generation mm-hmm. or, or thinking the other generation is the one that's hindering the work that we think we're supposed to do. And so right. we want to be able to have this conversation and advocate. This is going to be no surprise to regular listeners that we would advocate for a multi-generational church. However, a, there's a lot of challenges that come with it, and we want to be able to talk about those as well as that the benefits outweigh it. On top of the fact, let's start with just saying it's biblical, isn't it? So, how do we? Where do we see this in the New Testament? I think the major text, Brian, is Titus chapter two, and it is a pastoral epistle. It is being written to a man who's pastoring a church in Crete, and he is a he is a younger man, uh, and yet uh, he is exhorted to participate in the life of the church in such a way that the older and younger generations have relationships, that they interact with one another. And I think in, in many ways that older that the older generation not only relates to, but mentors the rising generation. That right. it's not just the pastor who is involved in a pulpit ministry of instruction to God's people, but God's people ministering to God's people, particularly uh, the older uh, ministering uh, to the younger. Hmm. So, I, and and Brian, I would just say quickly at the outset that I, you know, when we talk about church divisions today, and we think in terms of, you know, often terms of race, that there's churches that are all white and churches that are all black and 
and whatnot, that there, this is one of the great places of discrimination and separation and division, at least in American churches. The generational have, division. We, yeah, you, yeah. Have, you have churches that are essentially all young, and you have churches that are almost all old. Right. And so in the one case, you may have a lot of zeal, but you're not going to have the tempered wisdom that comes with age and with experience. You're not going to have people that have walked with God for a long time and who have learned to raise kids and are into the grandparent phase and, and married 40 through, or 50 yeah, years. Have, and, have yeah. gone through uh, courtship, uh, love, marriage, or heartache, and they've managed to keep at it and all of the rest. And so every you know young generation feels like they're having to you know plow the ground fresh when it, there are some who've already plowed it and are going to tell you, yeah. hey, you can walk behind me and and reap the benefits of my of my life. I think it's almost easier uh, to to you know try to encourage enfolding older people into that environment than it is when a church is just full of elderly people, which sometimes happens, and a, a, a guy comes in, and we usually refer to those as dying churches. Yeah, so, that's right. So uh, the one is a church in need of wisdom, the other is a church in need of a future. And whether, again, you just say, well, I'm going to help the church to die well and, and see all the old folks off to their final reward, uh, but is there a hope? Anyway, I think that what you find in the Scriptures is that it is— it is the expected norm that a church have a balance of older and younger people in it. Yeah, that Titus 2 passage is really key to understanding this idea, I believe, because there's a couple of things in that text that really stick out to me. One is that um, that there, it's, it's presumed that old, young men and women, you know, sponsor masters, those, the list that's given, they're presumed to be in every local church. Paul exactly. doesn't write to Titus and say... Right. If there's younger men, then right. this is their role. Or if there's older women, right. this is their role. He's assuming they're all there. And I think the other important part about that text is that that the first ten verses are the the, the groups of people and the list that's given are the mm-hmm. roles. But then verses eleven through fifteen, you know, highlight the transforming power of the gospel right. is how this gets accomplished. So right. I, I think you know what I say often is. Is that you know? There's really two kinds of churches that many of us work with. One is the old historic church that's dying, and it's predominantly older folks, and the younger, ch- vibrant church plant that has the illusion, I would say, oftentimes of growth and health and all those things, but it's all the same age and kind of t- same type of person. And these two groups agree on something that their hindrance to the ministry they feel called to is the other group. Right. And so I think Titus 2 is such an important passage for our cultural and the makeup of so many of our churches now to one, to see that it's assumed old and younger in churches, and two, that's the gospel that empowers these groups to come together and be able to not just get along, but somehow they love one another and they sacrifice for one another and, and they create a community among old, young men, women, bond servants, and, and masters, those things. Right. And I think. <clears throat> Brian, maybe we need to have uh, a word to. Um, I mean, we have both. Both, I think, probably both listening to this. Both, uh, maybe, guys in both situations. Uh, one is probably easier to deal with than the other, and that is, you know, where you say, "Well, maybe it's easier to address. It may not be easier to accomplish." Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I, which I group have, you're going to say. I, actually, I have watched younger men. A lot of you know, younger men when they plant churches. 
there's a temptation in church planting to want to say something like, you know, hey, we are not your father's, or particularly we're not your grandfather's church, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not, we're not the, you know, like the old, not your grandfather, father's Oldsmobile, that old commercial. Yeah. And that when, and they're trying to tell young people, hey, when you think of church, you think old, stodgy, old hymns, um, doer tunes and, and all of this now, but we're young, we're hip, we're vibrant. Well, that young, hip, vibrant is a way to tell almost anybody over 40, we don't want you here. I was going to write an article years ago taking off the theme of a movie called No Churches for Old Men, Mm. and that churches were designed and put together in a way to say of an older man, we don't really want you here. Yeah. Uh, Because again, we think you will be a hindrance. And it's, it may be easier to convince some younger men to say, you need to rethink your model and you need to adjust for the reality that you're not just appealing to a younger audience. Of course, ultimately what you're trying to do is to obey God and to honor God in the way you assemble your church. If that appeals to young people, fine. If it appeals to older people, fine. But I think there are things you can do intentionally to welcome an older generation, listen to an older generation, bring an older guy into your staff, et cetera, who uh, than it is to take a church that's older, dying, and to try to infuse that with with new life and try to bring, I don't know, Brian, I don't That's know if you, inter- found that, well, if you found that to be the case, maybe not. It's an interesting take because in one ways, I, I, in some ways I agree with you and others, I think it, it can, an argument can be made both ways. Okay. So the, the, what I've watched is, you know, what it is, is these churches when they're asked, so when you have an older dying church and they, and you say, do you want younger people to come here? Well, many of them will say, well, yes, we want, we need younger people to come but they're not doing anything to address right. the fact that no young people want to come to this church and it, for for different As reasons. It is, right. That's why that promotion works. We're not your grandfather's old church because right. those bad experiences for different reasons. Right. But on the other end, I've watched this happen actually quite a bit that you know a, a younger church plant that's that's very clearly trying to to appeal and draw in the younger crowd. They'll say, "No, no, we want older folks coming." I'll never forget there's a 90 year old woman that joined our church and uh, this her, uh, her her nephew and his wife were caring for her and they were going to a pretty kind of hip young church in the city and they but, but and she they went there for a while they eventually left they ended up coming to our church because the 90 year old woman well she wasn't she wasn't run out of the church obviously when she showed up but you know Music was loud. It was not at all, you know, nobody, you know, nobody greeted her. Nobody treated her kindly and friendly. Right. So it was like, no, no, we want the older folks to come. But like, it's this attitude of kind of you, but you got to, you know, you need to come and, and, and completely submit to the way that we're doing things. I think the same thing happens in an older church. Like, right. yeah, we want you to come. <clears throat> aren't, aren't these Southern gospel hymns so great? We've been singing for 40 years. <laughs> right. And, you know, 25-year-olds like, you know, there's no way I'm coming here. So right. I think that the, go, it, the argument can go both ways. But I the, agree. But I the mean, point I, is... I do agree with that. And, 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 that, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but that's, that creates some of the challenges that makes this hard to happen, which is why, again, verses 11 through 15 are so key for, for Paul to be writing to Titus and saying, it, you know, for the grace of God appeared bringing salvation to all people that that's what allows these groups to be able to come together and be in one church so jim let's shift there let's first talk about what do you find are some of the challenges 
And it can go both ways. And you can stress either one. What are some of the challenges of younger people going to older churches or older churches going to, or your older members going to, to a younger, you know, hip church? What, what are some of the challenges that keep this from happening, even though Titus 2 is clear it's supposed to be happening? Uh, Brian, I, the things that come to my mind are pride and fear. And okay. I think that there is, and, and I'm going to do some stereotyping here. And again, I'm an older guy right here, so I'm going to do my, my uh, I'm going to try not to stereotype be Stereotype away, Jim. It's okay. Okay, I'm going to stereotype away. I think that there can be, uh, with younger people, a fear of older people. Uh, I, I use the illustration that years ago when I, when I was 14, 12, 13, 14, I was cutting the grass and my father started walking behind me while I was cutting the grass. Whoa. Like, I mean, it was really weird. Uh, but it was like, please stop. You know, uh, <laughs> please don't be viewing me like I'm totally incompetent to do this, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it was, it, you know, there was pride in me and other things like, because I didn't want to, I looked like a, a total idiot with my dad following behind me. But I think there can be that thought of that if the older person's there, they're going to be criticizing me. They're going to tell me how to do things. They're going to tell me I'm not doing it right. And and rather than maybe saying, maybe he does know what he's talking about, but it's like, please let me make my own mistakes. It's not the, please way, let to, me find, it's not the way to accomplish it. It's not it, the way so, to accomplish yeah. it, but it can be, it, but there can be, again, just that initial sense of fear. I'm going to do things my way. This is part of youth. These are the, there are the sins of youth the Bible talks about. So do not remember the sins of youth. So what are the sins of youth? Well, they usually have to do with hubris, lust. Uh, you know, uh, those kinds of things. So even that when Paul talks to younger men in Titus 2, the only thing he talks to them about is being sober-minded. That's it. Uh, because they have a tendency to not view things rightly. Some of it, you could even argue, is the way your brain's wired when you're young. It takes a, takes a longer time for the brains of men to settle into sobriety. And so there can be that sense of, of I think pride. Uh, we we want to do things a new way. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to have to to consider. We got a, a way we want to chart. We don't want older people coming in and telling us we don't know what we're doing or to. And again, I, it, it shouldn't be done that way. But I think the other the other issue is fear. And I think that the I think older people often have a sense of I'm not worth anything anymore. This is a tendency of getting old. I just sit on the bench. I'm just waiting to die. I'm running out the clock. Nobody cares what I say. Nobody values what I say. Nobody wants my opinion. Mm-hmm. Nobody comes to me anymore. And I can't remember if I ever shared this, Brian, uh, on the, in this context. I read a book a few years ago about uh, that that had Yogi Berra in it. The great, some, most of you will know Yogi Berra, the great, Bear, the the great, great old uh, Yankee, three-time MVP, ten-time World Series champion. And the Yankees had started inviting Yogi to spring training. They'd put him in a uniform. He'd sit on the bench. But what happened is, and the guy who wrote the book realizes nobody was going up to Yogi to talk, and Yogi wasn't approaching any of the younger players. Younger players might have wanted to take a picture with him because he's a legend, but nobody came up to him and said, "Hey, Yogi, you know you were you're a three-time MVP. You had yeah. one of the highest batting averages of any catcher at all time. Could you tell me what I'm doing wrong?" Mm-hmm. Nobody did yeah. that, and he didn't feel the freedom or the courage to go up to somebody because he thought nobody cares. And this is Yogi Berra. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you can have an old man in the church. He's raised kids. He's a grandfather. He started a business and he lived his life, loved a woman for a long time. And no young people are coming up and saying to him, hey, sir, uh, brother, how'd you do it? Yeah. 
uh, I'm just getting started. It's like everybody wants to, you know, start their own way. And so again, I think that those twin issues of pride on the one hand, I don't, I don't need anybody to speak into my life and fear on the other. Nobody wants me to speak into their life and nobody mm-hmm. cares what I have to say. I, it's a, I think that's a good point. And I would, I would add to that. This is magnified in Louisville, Kentucky with the presence of a seminary, but I do believe <clears throat> this is just, uh, this is widespread. And that's a lot of times <clears throat> younger, the younger generation are more theologically well-read mm. than the older generation in a lot of these mm. established churches. Now, that's not going to be the true for everywhere. Right. But I would say that, you know, especially in the secularization of the culture, if you're younger, if you're in your 20s or 30s and you're actually following Jesus and you're 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 a genuine Christian and you're part of a local church, like, you know, there's a good chance you potentially at least read and read Christian books. It's it's you know, Christian books are widely available now in a way like just never before. Mm. And and there's a lot of, you know, especially in the last, I'd say, last, you know, 15 years, there's been a a, a recovery of more robust theological conversations uh, right. in local churches. I, right. I think part of the hindrance, and I certainly saw this in our church in Louisville, Kentucky, that uh, you had older members who are exactly what you described. You know, you've been married a long time. they got kids and grandkids. They've lived a long life. They faithfully followed Jesus. But they're not theologically well read, mm. or they don't know Greek, or right. they, you know, they don't, they don't, they haven't read systematic theology books, and and so I I think that there's that issue that you have, and I think this is the part of the challenges that pastors have. I want to acknowledge is that you may have some of your more spiritually ma- mature in your church or younger for some of these reasons, but I don't I want to be careful in my terms, but you. Know, the most life valuable people might be your older people. Right. And so to try to figure out when I read, you know, you read Titus two and you go, the older to mentor the younger, that's clear. But what if the younger are more spiritually mature than the, the older, that's some of the challenges. Some of these bring that's, that's an interesting. And I think again, you probably particularly have that with your leaders, but you can have the, the expression that came to my mind, Brian, you were saying that is that sometimes somebody may know their Bible, uh, how do I want to put it? They may know their Bible better, but they don't know it more. And the older person knows it more. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, they and know it, less. They know less, but they, they, but know, they know. But they know more. They, 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 yeah, they don't know it better, but they know it more. <laughs> we I, have I, botched I, I, this, I'm, but we I made the point. It, but I'm trying to make a point here <laughs> that there is an experience of God yeah, right. and an experience and a depth of God's word that somebody who's read their Bible 40, 50, 60 times, perhaps in their life, and the, and the young guy who's got the seminary language, but I mean, I've, I've known guys in seminary, Brian, who've never read their Bible cover to cover, not once. And, and I, I remember challenging one young guy years ago who was trying to, you know, uh, he was making some point about something. And I, and I, and I asked him, you know, have you ever, you know, have you not read? And he said, no, I've never read that book of the Bible. And I was like, you know what, until you've read your whole Bible, <laughs> You ought to maybe hold your opinions a little more modestly sure. than you do now, and you know, sure. uh, you know, just because you took one class doesn't mean you, you you know it all. And so it it is that value. And again, I think the older need to ensure that they value the younger. I think one of the one of the problems that older people have, and this is throughout the generations, almost every older generation is fearful of the rising generation. Right. And sometimes that's, sometimes they say, well, it's because I know them. But sometimes actually because maybe you don't know them as well as you should. Or they're different and, than and, you. And they're different. And to be encouraged that, you know what, this young guy 
no, you know, he loves Christ and, and he's on fire and he, he wants to do everything the Bible says. That ought to give you a sense like, I, I, I'm encouraged for the rising generation. That yeah. ought to take place in the church yeah. that I feel I, I want to invest in and I want to be thankful. I want to, I want to, I want to, as it were, put money there because that's going to produce dividends in the future. That's not going to fail. This is something that uh, I ought to have hope in. And I think that's one of the benefits of older people getting to know younger people is hopefully producing in them not just a sense that my life's not over, I still have some value in the church, but also producing in them as they interact with godly younger people that they do want to do what's right. They do have a heart to follow the Lord, even if it looks a little differently than it did in your generation. I want to shift to benefits around this because you and I both pastored uh, multi-generational churches. So, you know, I obviously mine was a church, yours was a church plant. Mine was a church revitalization that eventually gained, you know, we had one generation when I got there. By the time I left 17 years later, we had five generations Mm -hmm. in the church from, and that's the the other thing I want to stress is I would say to evaluate our our church on health and how biblical it is, is not about how many people you have or how much money you have. It's about it's like things like this, like yeah. how many generations do you? So mm. you know, when I left our church after seventeen years, we had I had seventy five members, but there were five generations out of those seventy five mm. you know, members. There was there there were there were multiple ethnic groups within that seventy five mm. members. So I I think that we have to we have to change the conversation a lot of times. When we're talking about. Uh, church health and what it actually a biblical church looks like. Yeah. We have both pastored multi generational churches. We have we have experienced the challenges of it. But I want to talk about what are some of the benefits you experienced watching this this biblical model play out. Because I want pastors to hear this because there's challenges with this. It's hard, but but it's worth it because this is God's design. What have been some of the benefits you have found in pastoring church a church with multiple generations in it? Wow. Well, there's a lot, Brian. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm talking from my own perspective, just as a yeah. pastor. Yeah. What have, you, uh, what have you watched? Yeah. Well, again, it, it is. If there's hope, and there's there's hope in 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 both directions. It's it's very hopeful to see uh, older seasoned saints persevering uh, in love and in patience. It's it's encouraging to watch that somebody who has battle scars and has been there. Uh, I was thinking the other day and I, I made this, when I made this drive out West, you're going along Lewis and Clark, you know, parkway as it were. And, and we, we were talking a lot about 1804, 1805, uh, Lewis and Clark and their expedition is, is making their way over what's now these highways mm-hmm. But they had a, they they were walking at her with with a wagon or a horse and pulling a boat and and <clears throat> all of this stuff. I'm so thankful I didn't have to do that. Yeah. I, I'm thankful that people have now cleared ways and 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 you can drive along and 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 you benefit from what others in the past have done. So the, you know there there is that uh, that benefit. Uh, again, I have transitioned now. When I came to the church, I was the youngest man in the church. I'm now one of the older guys yep. uh, in the church. You know, so there's uh, most of the men in the church are younger now, mm-hmm. whereas everybody was older. So right. I, I, I am, am, now the encouragement is now as an older man is is seeing young people committed to the truth, committed to the body, committed to their families, committed to raising their kids. 
and it does, it gives you that sense of, uh, you know, I I, I want to see this church. I mean, my 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 hope is I want to see RBC Louisville going strong a hundred years from now. You know, if if the Lord tarries hundred years, two hundred years from now, if the, that there would still be a light in Louisville. Uh, on the basis of of that foundation that my generation laid, that, that's my that's my hope, that's my goal, it's my dreams, my vision. I won't live to see that, but it gives me hope that that's going to happen because I'm I'm watching a rising generation. If if I were still the youngest man in the church, uh, 31 years in, or I was among the youngest men in the church, 30 31 years in. I wouldn't be facing the end of my ministry with a sense of joy and anticipation of what yeah, the future is. Because the next generation is is there. And I think, you know, that's that's another important, you know, piece. That's one of the certainly one of the benefits that we're talking about is that you know, I, I watch there's there's four roughly four thousand churches a year that close denomination wide, mm-hmm. like mainline denomination wide. Yeah. And a lot of times that happens because of what you just said, that that churches that were once vibrant at one time, the next generation didn't come in. Right. And the church just dies off with that generation. That is really a common story everywhere. And so one of the benefits, obviously, of, of a multi-generational church is that there's there's hope that the church thrives in the next generation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing to, to, to keep in mind. Another benefit, though, and you alluded to this one also, is that, you know, Younger people learn from the wisdom of older, mm-hmm. but the older le- young learn from the younger as well. There, there's there's things to learn on both sides of that, right? And, and so I I think in Titus too, you have particularly Paul's telling Titus, you know, the older are to teach and mentor the, the younger, but you know the the younger can have things to teach the older that are benefits for the older as well mm. that extend past, you know, them teaching them how to use their iPhone and things like, you know, <laughs> things like that. But, but just understanding their own generation, maybe understanding how to move forward in some different cultural ways in the, in the church. So you're not stuck in doing things the same way all the time. I think there's just benefits. We, we learn from each other when you have people who are different than you, whether it's a different generation or different ethnicity or whatever it might be. Yeah, so among the things that when Paul's laying the framework for older men investing in younger men, he lays out what older men are to look like. And among the things he talks about is that they are to be uh, sound in faith, in love, and, and in patience. I think you can probably read that, sound in, love, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience, mm. that they have a healthy love and a healthy patience. And the the... If I were to ask a young person to give an imitation of an old man, he would do something physically. He would probably, you know, bend over, pretend he has a cane, and maybe alter his voice. But he would also do something dispositionally. And he'd probably be grumpy and cranky, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, if I asked, you know, if if you asked your boy or my boy, imitate an old man. Yeah. It's like, you know, old man shouts at cloud, you know. Yeah, or get the, off my uh, lawn. And, get off yeah, my yeah, lawn, yeah. you know, and you cut and pick him, you do, young people, you, you know, this kind of a thing. And and, and, and Paul says a guy like that's not going to mentor anybody. Right. Um, right. And that, that patience 
that that testing, that trial of of life and of love. Love is patient. Mm-hmm. Love is kind. Yeah. Love doesn't seek its own. And the so that the older a man gets, the sweeter he ought to grow in love and patience, which is often the opposite. And I think there's a reason why Paul gives those dispositions to the male and to the older male is because those things are often lacking. But but what what can happen as you do interact with younger, as you interact in the life of the church, and as you marinate in the gospel, it ought to produce a sweeter love and a sweeter patience in you that makes you approachable, that makes younger people not afraid if you come up and tap them on the shoulder and say i'd like to buy you a cup of coffee and get to know you um and and i think again i think what paul envisions brian here is that these generations are going to interact with each other not just before you know after sunday school before service and in the few minutes after service before they go home for lunch or dinner but that they're actually going to invest in each other get to know each other be comfortable in getting into each other's homes sharing each other's stories sharing each other's lives and that we can encourage that rooted in as you said verses 11 and following rooted in the realities of the gospel Uh, and what that produces in our lives. So I'd like to wrap this episode by by moving to a practical side of this. A- and maybe a couple of practical things, like neither one of us are pragmatists, Jim, and yet we both pastored multi-generational churches. God did that work in both of our churches. So practically, pastors listening to this, it's got a really young church, and he realizes he needs older members. You know, pastor in a really old church and realizes he needs younger members couple practical helps on, on how a pastor can begin to pursue this. This is clearly a biblical design. How does a pastor pursue it? Well, I think you have to have the humility to ask in some cases. So if you're a younger man and you're pastoring a younger, hipper, vibrant, you know, church seems to be growing, you know, why would you want to change? Because everything's great. But again, you might realize that, hey, my younger people have no examples of older Christian people. Find an older man. Find an older sister. Mm-hmm. Talk to them and ask them, hey, come visit our church and tell me, what would prevent you from being here? What, yeah. what, what is it that, that screams to you, you know what, you're not, despite all your words, you're really not welcome here. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, maybe, maybe you, you, you know, uh, uh, you, maybe you need to make some alterations to your music. Maybe you yeah. ought to make some alterations in, in certain things that, mm-hmm. that means that you see and value older people, just as you might make that you know, from the other side and say, you need to show young people that you see and value them, that their presence and their input matters to you, mm-hmm. that you really do want them there. And it's not just a matter of, yeah. hey, just shut up and, and yeah. keep up. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's that, that, that humility of, of inviting somebody in, sitting in on your worship, and, and then asking them, hey, you've been here a time or two, what is it that we is there anything we do that is so off-putting that that you wouldn't want to invite your 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 mother here yeah, or that's good or any of your friends i that's, think that's one area we can start with yeah that's good i'll kind of piggyback, piggyback on that and say uh I, this is a really important practical way to uh whether you're which way you're, you're trying to bring young in or old in whatever it is be content driven with your music and your service i think we we put too much emphasis on style Mm. And style brings the younger folks in, or style brings the older folks in, or whatever it right. is. I think be content driven with your with your music because the content is hopefully what unites us. You know, we all have different music preferences. That's okay. 
Yeah. God's made us that way. That's right. not something to begrudge. The problem is, is that when we use music style as a way to define a church, mm-hmm. we are alienating people who don't like that style. We're focused right. on the wrong thing. I get every church is going to have their own musical way they approach things right. and all that. That's fine. I'm saying be content. You're like, so when an older person comes to a younger church that's maybe, you know, the music's louder, it's a bit more hip, and so, you know, all these kind of things. But if, if you're mindful of, of what you're singing, that that potentially could be the unifying piece. And then when that older person who's visited two or three times and you ask their advice on, and they say, look, the, the music's too loud. I don't know any of the songs. Right. You know, and they start rattling stuff off. You as a pastor go, you know, okay, so maybe we bring the volume down so people can actually hear each other sing. And and then, then we sing a hymn or two that yeah. would allow other people who... Whether you're old or young, you're going to know that. You're going to potentially know that hymn, and it unites people content-wise. Right. So I would say be, be mindful of, of how much your service. We we have fallen into this trap of trying to gear our service like that more than I think we realize. And we don't realize we're alienating other people by us being really particular in the way we want our music done. Be content-driven with the music. Let the gospel that hopefully unite, saves us all, unites us all. That when we sing that, regardless on how we do it, that that actually might be a unifying piece. So, any other practical help, Jim? Yeah, I think uh, uh, in regard to public and private ministry, because this is really what Titus two, you know, speak these things, yeah, right, you know, right. exhort with all authority. 15. So, I think part of that is verse one and verse fifteen. You know, speak the things that accord with sound doctrine that the older men be, mm-hmm. and so that we address this publicly and say, listen, we have older men and younger. You know, so older men, there's some things I need to say to you. Also, younger men, there's some things that that I, I need to say to you. And older men, do you see and know these younger men? Uh, younger men, do you know and see this older brother across? You know, sits on the other side of the the building from you, but that you see each other, that you know each other, you get to know each other's names, and then maybe you 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 do that uh, privately. So in in one of my recent pastoral visits with an older couple who are just they're the greatest in the world, but I'm talking to them about their life, and I particularly focused at this time on the woman, and I said, you know, are you taking any time to invest in and get to know the younger ladies? Yeah, yeah. she's got a daughter in the church, and I said, but beyond your, you know, that that that. You may think to yourself in your humility, well, I don't have anything to say. You got a lot to say. You've, yeah. you've been alive for 75 years. Yeah. You got a lot to say. Exhort you've people learned a to, lot. Yeah, and just let me that. encourage you. Yeah. Uh, find a way to, and, and so then follow up and say, hey, you know, I encouraged you some time ago. I think you got a lot to share. That's good. You need to do that. And then, and then maybe encourage the younger. Now, what I have found sometimes is I've seen some younger ladies, or particularly younger ladies, say, I, I want and I need some older ladies to invest in me. And I, and I say to them, well, make sure then that <laughs> that if they actually do, that you're not offended yeah. because they yeah. might point something out. Yeah. You know, Make right. sure you really want that. That's good. But also then go, and, and I'm going to give you two names of somebody that I think would, would do that for you. I think that's a practical way that's that good. we can. Last practical, I'll, I'll give you a final word on this, is, is pray for this. You know, when was the last time you prayed? Like, I know we often pray for numeric growth. We pray for, you know, conversions, and which is which is certainly a great thing to pray for. But how often do we pray that God uh, creates a diversity in our church among the generations? Mm. So I would encourage you, if you're not praying that way, right? You you can't expect to see God work that way. So yeah. commit yourself to praying that way. And 
And uh, and I want to ask Jim if he'll take a minute and just pray for each of you uh, as we wrap this episode. Yeah, sure. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And, and Lord, whenever we pray in accordance with your revealed will, we, have, we should have such confidence that you'll hear us and work. And so, Father, pray for our, our fellow pastors who are laboring in situations where either there are no older folk or where there are no younger, and they desire and should desire, Lord, to see that change. And so, Lord, pray that you would bring the kind of help and the kind of hope the kind of stability and wisdom an older older person brings, as well as the vibrancy and hope for the future that a younger generation brings. Father, help our churches to have that uh, both things true of them, wisdom and, and hope. Lord, for your glory and for the good of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.